Good evening, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, where we are all champion motorball players. I'm your host, Austin, here, and tonight I'm joined by Tori. Hello. And Tobias. It's me. And Bill. I'm just a Bill. And tonight on this episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, we are going to be talking about Alita, Battle Angel, the uh, recent movie that was released in theaters about a week ago from uh, the time of this recording, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, But we're essentially going to break down that film, give you our thoughts about it um, in a spoiler-free session, uh, and talk about uh, how it compares to the original 90s OVA just a little bit. And then after that, we'll have a short break and go into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen the film, you'll probably be able to listen to about half of the the first half of this episode or so, and then the second half will be for people that have seen the film, because it is still out in theaters by the time of this recording, and it probably will be, uh, because... I certainly hope that people are still going to see it, you know, discovering it through uh, word of mouth and whatnot. Tobias, myself, and Bill, you've heard from recently, but uh, Tori hasn't been on in a while, so how's it going, Tori? What's What's been up with you? Um, It's good, I guess. I've mostly been adulting, um, going to school, working two jobs, um, and just hanging out and trying to sneak time in between everything for shows and games and it, it's sort of working you've been watching anything cool from this winter season um mob season two which please everybody go watch mob because it's so good and that's my little son um promise neverland which that's uh that's a trip and um i think it's my roommate is a cat and it's a very wholesome show and i think that's mm-hmm. all i'm all i'm watching this season yeah that's not bad. That's honestly more than I'm watching right now because I'm watching Mob as well. We're watching Mob together, mm-hmm. and I I can totally vouch for it being quite excellent. All right, uh, Bill and Tobias, you guys still doing good from the last time we heard from you? I am doing uh doing quite well. Uh, been trying to keep up with little things during the season. The only thing I've been watching is uh, I'm probably going to say the name wrong. Um, Duro. It's Dororo. Uh, which is a really good um i've been really enjoying that on amazon prime uh it comes up it's like on episode eight or nine when this ever gets released um so i've that's mostly what i've been watching and my plane show which i talked about last time so mm-hmm. sounds pretty plain uh, i need a bigger <laughs> laugh than that come on guys please please clap. <laughs> <laughs> please clap Thank you. Thank right, you. Job. <laughs> How's it going, Tobias? I'm doing pretty great. Uh, I have been busy making a list of all the shows that I should be watching this winter, but I have yet to watch more than a single episode of Promise Neverland. I'm a terrible <laughs> person, but I, I'm quite aware there's a bunch of good stuff, and I'm uh, really excited to finally get around to it um, sometime probably in three months. That's a mood. I hear you. Understandable. Other, other than that, I'm still uh, I'm still riding high off the Pokemon Direct that we just got yesterday, and oh man, it's Pokemon yes. time again. This this is like generalized heresy in the nerd community, especially in like the anime video game community. But like, I don't know. I never really got super into Pokemon, and I kind of wish that I had. Get, get but guess what? You're you're fine. Me neither. You're safe. I know, but like, I feel like I'm missing out. Even though like, it's not that I haven't played Pokemon. It's just that I don't really get excited for it i mean i think you jumped in the rpg scene a little later like ps1 ps2 era 
I definitely if I, did. If I, if I like understand <laughs> you, and yeah, it's more of an older style RPG game, and I just think like po- like Pokemon to me is like your Disney, like it's something that I've, I I appreciate that you enjoy. I just am not going to get it myself. That's true, but I think we can mm-hmm. both agree that Ratatouille is a flawless film. Absolutely, uh, I've never seen it. <gasps> oh, we got to change that. Next episode, uh, Ratatouille. All right, I tell you what, Same. I'll watch Ratatouille if you play a Pokemon game. I mean, I like I said, it's not that I haven't played Pokemon. It's just I don't really get hyped for it. Well, but uh, you gotta you gotta play the game, and I'll watch Ratatouille. Fair enough. Start, that's, start a, that's, a, that's a good deal. Start All right. So you, uh, however many hours I put into Pokemon, you have to like then divide and figure out how oh, many times you have to watch Ratatouille. <laughs> uh, that's if I saw, like, I'll join you on the Ratatouille watch because I have also not watched it. I'll just uh, I'll, guys, I'll just, I'll just be strapped to the chair like Clockwork Orange style, with my eyelids holding. <laughs> <laughs> That's really? the only way to watch it. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll, we'll even put a hyper-realistic rat on top of your head. Oh no! Oh no! Little chef. Why can't it be real? Actually, <laughs> it's it's so real that it's real. I'll hang out with a yes. rat. I will cook with a rat. Heck yeah! All right. So uh, in terms of me, I'm not going to talk about myself this time. You guys can hear about me next time, but I did want to talk about some generalized third impact anime related stuff that's coming up pretty soon. Uh, so as of this recording, it is the end of February, and towards the middle of March, which is only a few weeks away from now, we will be guests at the Triad Anime Convention in Winston-Salem, North Carolina at the Benton Convention Center, uh, which is the first year that Triad Con will be back in Winston-Salem in uh, two years, I want to say. Uh, brand new renovated convention center, so I'm really excited to check it out. Um, but we are official guests for that convention. We've got a whole bunch of panels that we're going to be doing, um, including some ones that I'm really excited for. Like um, We're going to be doing one that we've done before, but we've only done it once, and it went over pretty well, I think, and I hope that it will go over well this time, too. Uh, we're doing a panel on how to make the anime community a better place, which I think is always a conversation that needs to be had. Um, I'm doing a couple of, I think, at least one or two panels with you, Tobias. We're doing the Miyazaki and the uh, old anime panel. Do you want to right. talk about those for a sec? Yeah, so uh, Beyond Miyazaki, Anime Creators You Should Know, is just a panel where we, just about you know, 10, 15 individual uh, directors or various creators uh, working in the anime space and studios, that are, you know, I would say just as important to the anime canon as Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki. But, you know, we don't really talk about so much unless you're like in the you know, in the actual anime scholar community. Like, you know, everyone knows who Miyazaki is, but not everyone knows like, you know, like Studio Mappa, for instance, or even mm-hmm. uh, uh, Makoto Shinkai. Like, sure, they are names in like the anime nerd community, the people listening to this podcast probably. But not Probably. to like the you know the general anime populace. So we're just gonna kind of do a general, you know, one on one on who these people are, why you should know who they are, you know, in 2019. And uh, older anime for new fans is just a clip show style panel where I show uh, you know, a bunch of like uh, older stuff, yeah, you know, anywhere from the 90s, 80s, or even further back. Uh, and I kind of relate them back to modern sensibilities, things that people jumping into anime fandom now, maybe watching other stuff you know, in 2019 could relate to, you know, you get that general sentiment from a lot of newer fans are like, they see even like Cowboy Bebop, like that just looks ugly. And that's wrong. That's a wrong opinion. I think we can all agree with that. (laughs) But you still hear that a lot. And it's just a matter of like a generational age gap. So I wanted to not only say, hey, here's some cool older shows, but also here's why you new fans would enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I share the exact same sentiment. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, we're also doing together, gosh, we're doing a lot of panels together. Most of the panels that we're doing are ones that you and I are doing together, which is cool. Uh, so we're doing 2018 Anime and Review. We're just going to talk about some really good um, really good shows from last year. Uh, basically like a distilled version of our four-hour-long monster podcast that we did back in January. We're going to be talking like, the entire time for that single 45 <laughs> minutes. Like, we're not gonna, Golly. We cannot stop talking to condense everything down from four hours into one. Oh, man. Um, and then we're also doing, um, or I'm doing my uh, 10 anime movies you may have missed panel, which is really fun. I'm still working out exactly what uh, movies I want to include on there, but I think, I, I think I'm definitely going to put Beautiful Dreamer in there now. I always want to talk about, like, Castle Cagliostro. I always want to talk about, like, um, something from Yuasa. Um Maybe multiple things from Yuasa. <laughs> I mean, you but, can always uh, talk about the subject of this podcast, since that is an anime movie. This is true. <laughs> true. I could talk about Alita, Battle Angel, or Gunnam, or whatever we're going to call you should, it. Uh, you should uh, at least give it a, a shout-out. That's, that's definitely true. That is totally valid. Which, by the way, that is a wonderful segment to go into what we're talking about. But first, we want to make another quick announcement about uh, convention stuff. Um, just a few minutes ago, maybe like an hour or so ago, um, the official post came out that we are going to be uh, featured panelist guests at Hamacon down in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, we were a featured panelist there last year, and they were kind enough to bring us back. Um, Basil, a good buddy of ours from the Awesome Cast, is a convention head down there, and he uh, really wants a good excuse to bring us down to Alabama so that he can feed us delicious food and us chill and talk about anime so uh, i am totally down for that i'm very excited about uh going down there and talking to the alabama otaku about lots of anime topics so sounds a, pretty hyped a, to me as a native alabamian i have to say i'm excited to get real barbecue again yeah that sounds exciting and i know that like half our like listener base is going to turn the podcast off after this. But, uh, Can't have barbecue I, I, unless it's drowning in vinegar. I still Oof. do not understand mustard-based barbecue. Sorry. That's, that's South Carolina-based. That's not North Carolina. Oh, okay. Uh, We're not going to get into the nuances of the differences of barbecue in this panel, in this podcast right now. Frick, I don't even know what this is anymore. <laughs> we can do a separate podcast on barbecue. Fair enough. But uh, anyway, even though we're not going to be guests, I do want to also mention that uh, uh, also later in March, uh, myself and the mid-shelf guys, that is uh, Ryan, Edwin, and Will, are going to be at Playthrough Con in Raleigh. Uh, so if you're in the area, feel free to come uh, harass us and listen to our gaming panels. And That's uh, the same venue as Animazement, right? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. The Raleigh Convention Center is just one of the downstairs convention rooms, not the entire space, uh, unless they've changed it this year. But it's always a fun time, and we've talked about it on prior podcasts. But yeah, uh, mm -hmm. we four will be there doing talks like we do the past couple of years. So look forward to us there. And uh, we will also, of course, be at Animazement in May. Uh, we've mm -hmm. got several panels we've already lined up for that. Uh, so I don't think we're going to be you know featured guests or anything, but we will be there. So we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, when we get closer to the time. But that's our convention uh, appearances for the next few months. Yep. And to just keep up with our various announcements and stuff that we make periodically about podcasts and uh, convention appearances and all that junk, uh, make sure to pop over to our uh, Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups 
slash third impact anime community. I could tell you guys to go over and like the our Facebook page, but honestly, that's kind of like a waste at this point because like Facebook pages are all are nigh unseeable um, anymore on that awful website. But I think we made a pretty good group over there. Uh, <laughs> So that, that's a good way to keep up with us. Or on our Twitter. Our Twitter is also pretty good. It's uh, twitter.com uh, slash ti underscore anime. We post a lot over there as well. And on the website, of course, thirdimpactanime.com, where you can see all of our previous podcasts and a bunch of articles and show notes and all that cool stuff. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. But after we get back, we're going to be talking about Alita Battle Angel. The flick of burning, you know. So, Alita Battle Angel was directed by Robert Rodriguez and written and produced by James Cameron. Uh, this film is based on the 1990 manga by Yukito Kishiro called Gunnam, which is spelled G-U-N-N-M, uh, pronounced Ganmu, yeah, so it's a little bit confusing, um, but it translates to Gun Dream, which I find kind of wild because like, I don't see how that really connects to anything but whatever, (laughs) what do I know? Um, So it was renamed to Battle Angel Alita and originally published um, by Viz in the United States in the late 90s and the early 2000s. It also had a two-episode OVA, which was probably more popular at the time, and that was released in Japan in 1993 and in the U.S. in 1999 by ADV Films in conjunction with the release of the Viz uh, manga. Uh, It was an anime title that was very popular and very enjoyed in its day, but as the 2000s came and went, it sort of fell into relative obscurity. Um, Really, the only conversations, at least I ever heard, about Alita were kind of in regards to the fact that James Cameron had wanted to make a live-action version of it for so many years. Mm -hmm. Like, he had been talking about doing that since, like, all the way back in 2000, and as we all know, it's 2019 now, so it really (laughs) did take him a long time to uh, really get this thing off the ground. Um, It took him, like, a grand total of like 15 years or so because even this film that just recently came out had been in production for quite a while um so as far as the cast and crew breakdown goes uh for the live action alita battle angel um i know bill's bill's got some things he wants to talk about that but uh, i guess generally speaking a lot of people probably know who james cameron is he's a very very famous american director uh you've probably heard of him even if you're like not a film person he directed like titanic and avatar terminator 2 etc and uh, robert rodriguez is also pretty famous in his own right um directing films like spy kids from dusk till dawn the faculty sin city and of course the evergreen you know uh top 100 AFI list film Shark Boy and Lava Girl (laughs) from the the mid-2000s, which is very anime in its own way. Uh, But yeah, this um, sort of surprising everyone. It seems like this movie has done a lot better than most people expected, especially among anime fans, because I think that generally speaking, and for good reason, anime fans can be very cynical and very just sort of not 
not hopeful at all whenever it comes to Hollywood I mean, involvement I think we, we, with anime. I think we've also been burned, like, as far as anime movies and video game movies are concerned. Oh, absolutely. They're more mm-hmm. stinkers than there are good ones, so I think we all expect it. Like, does everyone remember Dragon Ball Evolution and how... <laughs> of course we do. Akira Toriyama personally disavowed that movie entirely. <laughs> I mean, it's bad. It's very bad. Yes. Yeah. straight up quite awful. So I can understand people, anime fans' hesitation with Alita, because just like Tobias was saying, the anime movie track record has not been all that good. Right, right. And uh, the film itself was under a lot of uh, duress. Like I mentioned, it had been in production hell for many, many years. Um, and in the film, the release of the film was delayed multiple times after its initial trailer was released. Uh, my theory is due to how negative the reaction was to what Alita looked like, like her big, like stylized anime eyes on this human girl, um, which at least in that first trailer looked like quite bad. <laughs> but like, thankfully, at least to me, I think that in the final product, it looked it looked pretty good. I thought I thought there like if they were gonna go for that idea. Like, it's still a weird idea. I don't think I would have done it as a director. Mm-mm. But for them having done it, it looked way better than it did in the original trailer. So I'm very thankful for that. It um, um, it works better because, like, I was just looking at, like, posters and pictures and stuff. It works better not in motion. So, like, yeah. like posters and things like that, it doesn't feel wrong to me. But then when I see it in action next to other, like normal looking human beings i'm like in this weird uncomfortable like uncanny valley place and it just doesn't like sit right with me it makes me very uncomfortable really even watching the movie even watching the movie i could not turn it off and everybody's like oh it gets better you'll get used to it and i'm like no (laughs) i mean i think it works If, if it were just a movie full of humans Mm-hmm. Then sure, but we have so many other like weird robots walking around that it is kind yeah. of blended in as that. Like sure, you never, I mean, you never were convinced she was a real human being, absolutely. But right. I mean, you were also were convinced that like Zapan or even uh, the big guy Gruishka, like these, they were obviously cartoonish, you know. Yeah, robots. but that still felt more normal to me than like just her face, and I don't know why. And that sounds like absolutely crazy, but it just I don't know. <laughs> it's, man. it's because. We as humans, we have this disconnect with CGI, and Mm -hmm. even though it's gotten better over time when it comes to human expression and human features, we just seem to have this disconnect that doesn't look real, whereas if it's, let's say, a city, we're able to better adjust to it. And while we're talking about delays, uh, it should also be mentioned that, of course, Cameron has had the rights to do this movie for like 20 years. Uh, he just is waiting for like technology to catch up, CG to catch up, to be where he wanted to to make it. And of course, Avatar was this huge breakout hit in like the late 2000s. So I think he finally set a standard for what he wanted to do then. Uh, the downside, of course, is that he tied up the rights to the franchise, so we haven't been able to see any other uh, adaptations of the original manga or anything else in the time since. Which I think really kind of uh, uh, like you mentioned earlier, Austin, that people just kind of like forgot about this franchise after the original mm-hmm. OVA. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something that not, I mean, I, I've heard of the series before. I I've heard people talk about it, but I have not even seen the OVA since. It's just something mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of people aware of possibly mm-hmm. because of Cameron's, you know, hold on the, on the franchise. And yeah, uh, definitely. I, yeah. 
Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, uh, you talk about the delay with the eyes, and that was certainly a factor. But there was also a delay because I think the original release date was uh, against one of the Marvel movies. In December. Uh, or something. Yeah, there was some big movie a few months back. Uh, the same movie that killed uh, Mortal Engines, that uh, Peter Jackson movie. So yeah, I'm really glad that they actually did delay it, not only to adjust the eyes, but uh, you know, to, to really give it a fighting chance in the box office. Yeah, I agree, because it... it... You know, a lot of people say that the movies that come out in January and February are kind of like the doldrum times where the studios just dump stuff that they know is going to fail. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that's probably... I want to say that's that would be less true in this day and age because it seems like the things that get people to go to the theater are not things that release at a specific time of year, but things that just get, like, major traction from, like, either some big title... Uh, like a Marvel film or whatever, or something that just gets very positive word of mouth. Um, And I think that, you know, even, and Bill will talk about this in a second, but like even though Battle Angels seems to not have made a huge amount of money, it seems like, you know, every day that goes by, I see somebody on, like, commenting on Twitter or whatever that they were like, oh, you know, I went to go see Battle Angel. It was really cool or whatever. And it's just like all of those tweets and Facebook posts and you know, people telling their friends and then taking their friends to go see it multiple times. It's like, that's going to add up after a while. And it doesn't matter if it came out in, you know, June or January. It's like, I don't really, I don't know if that really matters anymore. I mean, I think it matters less the time frame against what it came out against, what it competed yeah, with. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, Because, certainly. I mean, sure, we, we have a lot more people going to see the Marvel movies, but movies are still kind of a premium thing for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the other parts of the country where well, tickets are even more expensive than they are here in North Carolina. So uh, a lot of people are going to have gonna have to be choosy about what movies they see. So I'm glad that it came out on a weekend where there was really nothing else to compete against. And I think the other thing, too, is movies have gotten to the point where the release window to streaming or to movies are very short. Like, um, of the latest Avengers movie that was in the theaters like this past summer is now on Netflix. It feels like yeah. that was just in the theaters. So people at this point have so much entertainment that they can do and they can just wait for it to be on streaming that people are like, why would I want to pay $15 for a movie ticket when I, when I bet it'll be on Netflix or right. Hulu in three to six months? Because I was um, looking on Amazon earlier today, and they're already taking pre-orders for um, Into the Spider-Verse, and that comes out in March, so it's, like, almost there. Mm-hmm, hmm I mean, that's definitely all true, but I'm not sure, like, like related to Alita, like, it's, it's not that people are not going to see this movie. Like, they are, um, I mean probably way more than would have been expected like had this movie came out and been like an absolute like dud no one would have seen it but it seems like like all of us went to see it all of the third impact people i think most of us at this point have seen it um but if it were uh, if it were trash nobody would have gone mm-hmm. let's uh i love this discussion but this is more like a, a like uh maybe a little bit later for the podcast like we talk more about our feelings <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we got our we got we our like, jump the gun those eyes, man those eyes <laughs> <laughs> yeah we definitely got ahead of ourselves so quickly just let me <laughs> let me tell you guys what this movie is generally about like we said we're not going to talk about spoilers quite yet we'll get into that in a little bit uh, but here's the generalized plot of alita battle angel 
So, in a distant cyberpunk future, a scientist named Dr. Dyson Ito discovers in a junkyard a disembodied cyborg girl with a still-living, fully intact human brain. Ito rebuilds her, but when she comes to, she doesn't have any memories of her past at all. Ito names her Alita after his deceased daughter. Alita meets a boy named Hugo, who's named Hugo in the original uh, OVA in the manga, uh, and he is currently working a bunch of odd jobs to save up enough money to go to Zalem, this very uh, Midgar-esque, mysterious utopia that hovers over their slummy city. So after, the, after that, basically, the story of the film unfolds, uh, introducing this, uh, spo- sports, uh, this sport called motorball that's really popular in the world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this, like, bounty hunter-based justice system where these uh, groups of people called hunter warriors basically, like, take up bounties and collect money for criminals. Um, and Alita gets involved in all this stuff going on with Dr. Ito, with Hugo, with this mysterious lady named Chirin, uh, and this, like, criminal network of spine stealers, and she finds out that she is, like, a crazy good fighter and very good at motorball. Uh, so it's pretty wild, and, like, that's not even really getting into the majority of the actual narrative of the thing. Um, but it has, it has a lot going on, and... Um, I think a lot for the audience to chew on. It's not like they just have this one thing that they're doing and they sort of do that over and over in the course of this film. Like, the world that they've built for this, like, there's plenty for the characters to do in the, you know, two-hour movie. Um, and it's really more packed out than I expected it to be and doesn't feel rushed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it does take its time in the stories. It did feel a little episodic because, of course, this is based on a manga series, which is just going to be naturally episodic but yeah i didn't really feel like there were you know different movies taking place in the tame the tame right. space mm-hmm. like and even it, it sort of sets it up for that failure but i think it does really well like the um the parts of the manga that it's adapting do not include the motorball sport um aspect of it um so and they pulled that from a later a later story and then put it sort of intermittently Uh, into the sort of hybrid story for the movie that they were making and even then it doesn't really feel like disconnected like they made it work they made it work pretty well i thought um at least mostly i believe so as far as the cast goes uh for this film uh we've got some very uh very high profile actors in here and some uh some relative unknowns as well uh our main girl alita is played by rosa salazar uh who was lucy in bird box and is in uh many uh, uh, movie adaptations of uh, young adult novels such as Divergent and Maze Runner. Uh, she's also in American Horror Story Murder House. Um, probably the biggest name attached to this film is Christoph Waltz as uh, Dyson Ito. Uh, he's famous for being in uh, a bunch of Tarantino movies like Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained. Uh, he's also in the James Bond movie Spectre and Big Eyes with Tim Burton. We have Kean Johnson as Hugo, who is famous for being Colt Wheeler on Nashville and Tom on The Fosters. I have no idea if anybody on this podcast will have any idea <laughs> uh, what those things are. I, I do, because I used to have basic cable TV. Nashville oh. and The Fosters are what I like to call a uh, basic cable pretty people uh TV dramas, so oh. like anything that you would see on like ABC or ABC Family. Now it's Freeform, whatever. 
mm-hmm. where there's just a lot of pretty 20 year olds with uh, dramatic problems. He's he's probably been on that those types of shows. <laughs> it's totally the t- type of show that people listening to this podcast are definitely going to know about 100%. <laughs> we have Mahershala Ali as Vector, and he is famous for being Juan in Moonlight and Uncle Aaron in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That's cool. Oh, nice. So we have the very famous Jennifer Connelly as Dr. Chirin, who is in uh, Labyrinth, a movie that almost everybody has seen if you've been, ever been a child. Uh, Marion Silver in Requiem for a Dream, uh, another very anime film. <laughs> and we have uh, Jackie Earl Haley as Garishka. Uh, he's famous for being Rorschach in Watchmen and Freddy Krueger in the 2010 horrible mess that was the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. Uh, we have Ed Skrine as Zapan, who was in Game of Thrones and is the main bad guy in the first Deadpool movie. So um, I guess going in, we'll start off with Tori. Mm-hmm. So going in, what were you expecting Alita to be, and then what did you walk out with thinking? Um, I went in not knowing any context about anything other than, like, kind of, like, seeing pictures or, like, screen caps of, like, the manga and things like that, like, of the character, but I had no idea what the plot was going to be, nothing, no preconceived notions or anything, so I go in... And I feel like people are going to hate me for this, but I get very bored by sci-fi movies because I feel like if I've seen one, I've seen them all. Um, So I was kind of like, well, I'm going to go into this and I'm going to be a little bit bored. But it was exciting enough to keep me, like, entertained the entire time. I will give it that. It was entertaining. (laughs) Um, And I found myself kind of rolling my eyes quite a few times, but I was still entertained. And I walked out thinking... You know, I'm glad I watched that movie. <laughs> it was fun. Are there spoiler-free ways that you can say why you were rolling your eyes? Um, mostly the the romance stuff because it just felt ah, it just felt not right. It was very, um, very just false. And I'm like, how did you create Titanic? One of the, like, best romance movies of all time. Whoa, whoa, well, I'd fight you there, because I don't know if the romance of Titanic has aged well, but... Okay, that's valid. That's very valid. Yeah. But, like, back in, back in its day, like, that was considered, like, the greatest, like, romance movie, right? But then mm-hmm. it's like, we look at Alita, and I know it's a different genre, it's a different time, and whatever, but it's just so lame. Like, the romance was so lame. Uh. Um, compared to how, like, the little bit, you know, that was kind of given in the OVA, um, we can get into that later, but, um, it was, it was mostly just the romance. Most of the other stuff, besides for some, like, cheesy dialogue here and there, like, I, it it was mostly just that, and I feel like I go into everything trying to find something to hate about it, but, like, I really just didn't. Well, Tori, you know... Maybe this perspective can help you. So I have been in a committed romantic relationship for a few years now, and I can just vouch for you that it is completely lame. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you're welcome. Do you anyway. think romance in general is just lame? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. Absolutely. It's all lame. Yeah, that, that's how you connect no. with the kids, you know? Make it as lame as possible. No, it's just Detached like... Detached irony. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just like, how do I explain it? It's like... 
Yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree. Like, uh, yeah, I, I agree as well. Yeah. Also, it's, 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 I don't think it really needs to be explained too much. Right. Yeah, it's, it's just like when when you're watching it as like a third party, like removed from the situation. It's just yes. like, oof. I think I think both no, I agree. for good and bad uh, reasons like this. This movie really felt like a love letter to the whole OVA style of like mm-hmm. this this anime thing from the you know like 80s and 90s, which works in a lot of ways, the, like the visual aspects and the action scenes. But no, I completely agree. Comparing this to the OVA two, where it's even more just uh, yeah, it mm-hmm. just I agree. It wasn't a great story, but it's just kind of part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't want to dwell on that too much because it's not a huge part of the film. I just think that the really the biggest strength of this film is really just in the spectacle, um, and like I don't I don't know if this is really one of those films that you really come to for the story. Like, and I, I certainly felt that same way about the original OVA, uh, something that I didn't have an attachment to, uh, much like everyone else here. I don't I don't think any of us really had much of a uh, pre attachment to Alita like at all, other than maybe hearing about it through the grapevine. Um, so that being said, before I just keep talking, uh, I want to make sure to get uh, everybody's take on it. So, Tobias, what was your thoughts about Alita like before going into it, and then what were your thoughts after leaving the theater? Yeah. So uh, the original OVAs and the manga have always been on my eventually get around to list, but I just haven't got around I hear to that. that. I've uh, you know, I've heard really, really really great things about the manga in particular, and it's always been something I wanted to check out. I just never got around to doing so. So even in the lead up to the movie where I was telling myself, all right, I'm going to sit down and watch the OVA first. I didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) So I was going into this knowing that uh, you had a robot girl, Alita, uh, or a galley, if you go with the original. Uh, Her dad is Christoph Waltz from Inglorious Bastards, which is what (laughs) sold me on it, like solely. And uh, the the, the general, uh, you know, background is all like dystopian, cyberpunk kind of stuff. Uh, I originally, like most people, wasn't looking forward to this, knowing what we know now about, like you mentioned, Dragon Ball and like Ghost in the Shell and all those other adaptations. But I saw a lot of people talking about this movie and uh, their first impressions of how much it captured the, uh, you know, the original feel of the OVA. And that's really what stuck me into, you know, wanting to check this out is hearing all those really great things about it from the first few uh, premieres. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's probably just the general, the general consensus, <laughs> I think, is most of us kind of expected it to be kind of crappy. Oh, yeah. I mean, probably going in, like, before we knew anything, like, yes, yeah, is going to be a Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. And it, I right. think it works out better. Than yeah, I, I came into this movie with low expectations because uh, I knew it was an anime uh, manga adaptation. I hadn't watched the OVA at the time, and I hadn't read the manga. Like it's a name I had heard of, um, but that's about it. So I came in with low expectations, thinking it was going to be just as bad as like the many Death Note adaptations. <laughs> so I went in, and I loved the sheer B movie greatness that this movie is. It reminds me of a great B movie you would find at a rental store in like the eighties or the early nineties. Uh, and I, not to harp on it, the, the things I loved about it was one, the action scenes, which I think we'll get into later. Like the fight scenes are so entertaining and so fun and elaborate. And also just, the sheer cheesiness of it like the romance i love the romance because it was so cheesy and so corny and that dude <laughs> should be called zach efron 2.0 because he looks like zach efron's twin 
and <laughs> Garage is pretty much Juggernaut from X-Men 3 Last Stand. Vinnie Jones was probably there helping him on the set. Uh, <laughs> I also loved the rollerball aspect of it because I just loved the B, B quality of it. And the other thing, too, that I liked it about was they didn't <laughs> just the... The weird treatment of Alita of just like, okay, Alita, stay around while I go do something. And then knowing that she's completely new to this world, uh, just just walking around, just the sheer kind of cheesiness of the script and the logic issues of it. But that doesn't matter. What matters is Alita will kick everyone's butt and you need to, we need to figure out what's going on in Zion and why everyone cares about um, this grand floating city, and I found mm-hmm. that mystery part was also pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But sorry, and I this was a this is my rant. <laughs> no, you're fine. I think what sets this film apart from other other like high high concept like um like Western sci-fi movies is that like it's it keeps it very simple. Like they don't like the original source material at least what was adapted into this live action movie and is pretty much identical to what is in the OVA as well. It's like, yes, they've got these, you know, um, high concept, uh, cyberpunk elements, but everything is kept very, very straightforward. Like there's this bounty hunter thing, there's this, uh, mysterious city and there's these cyborgs everywhere. And there's some mystery with Alita. Like it's not too, for lack of a better description, like, Final Sof- Fantasy Thirteen, Sof- sophisticated, gets... like they're not trying. Yeah, to be... but like, but it, but like most of the time, like sophisticated sci-fi is good because it's sophisticated. But like, what I'm annoyed by is like fake sophisticated sci-fi stuff that like tries to be like super heady or super interesting or whatever, but it just turns it turns up flat. Yes. Um, and I think that Alita is a great example of being like, okay, let's keep it simple, let's keep it really cool and very awesome. And just do what we know we can do, which is, like, really cool action scenes, really cool, like, cyborg world, world building, and just go for that, like, head first. Yeah, they, they, kept, it, they kept it simple, stupid. Like, yeah, that's, and, sorry. and, it, and it, that's what works, is just, like, you understand what's going on. They don't try and drape it in, like, deep... Um, Psycho, uh, psychological questions about humanity or what is the role of human of man like it's just a fun b-movie of alita wants to figure out who she is and to do that she's got to beat a bunch of people up yes <laughs> yes that is that is a great plot synopsis actually <laughs> alita does not know who she is and the only way she can find out is to beat up a bunch of robot people i mean have you not gone on that journey too i mean i think i think i'm about to start that journey honestly okay. and the and the first robot i'm gonna beat up is my router <laughs> <laughs> because i know i know the listeners will not hear this because i've edited it but my internet has crapped out like six times yeah, no, I, I would agree completely that it doesn't try to like go over your head and be really philosophical. It's it's all about that character, and I feel like they really wanted to stick with uh, again. Like I feel like that's the major theme of uh, Alita and why I love it so much, is it's not, um, it's very unapologetically anime, 
at yes. all. It has like no qualms with admitting that hey, this is very weird. This is very, you know, a product, very much a product of its time. And you sense that a lot all throughout the process. Like when you have a, you know, a Ito's rocket hammer. Yes. <laughs> Again, not not knowing, not seeing the original, like just seeing the rocket hammer come out. Like that's the most anime thing that I've. <laughs> I cannot believe yes. we got a rocket hammer in like in a Hollywood there are, film. There are tons of anime that aren't even that anime. Yeah, yeah. This just it was it it had no uh, no desire to cover up what it was, and I, I think that's the thing that shines through to me is more so than the story, which is just you know basic the romance, which is just you know canned uh, you know stuff. Although I do I I find it interesting that it's kind of like the opposite of fridging. Uh, as a whole, uh, as a as a plot device for for Alita, uh, but still, it's just it's still kind of the the canned uh, you know product. But other than that, like everything about it, like you mentioned, the aesthetic, the, the, the everything was oh, it was such a visual treat. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think this will probably be a good time to move into spoiler territory because I think we've pretty much given a decent pitch as to why people should watch it because it's really fun, it's got a cool aesthetic, and it's just so unapologetically anime. What uh, Before we do, or maybe we can kind of make it spoilery, do we want to talk about the original and the com- comparing it to that? I mean, I guess the only thing that I could say is just like generally speaking is that like, with the exception of the motorball stuff, it is almost exactly the same. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of shot for shot, mm-hmm. yeah. um, near shot for shot remakes. Right. The the one thing that I did appreciate, and uh, Tori, we we had a conversation about this, was that I appreciate how like at least uh, Hugo and Alita were aged up for the film, mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. I think that they are very, they're coded to be more like childish in the anime version. Like they seem way more like kids and. Yeah. Um, in the uh, film, they sort of aged them up to be more like older teenagers. Mm-hmm. And boy, am I glad that that didn't get weird at any point in both versions. <laughs> I agree completely. <laughs> I will say that uh, only seeing the OVA after the movie, I feel like I really prefer the movie. Yes. I feel like it told the same story, but the OVA was, it felt really rushed. They're getting yeah. a lot of story that they were working on a very limited time. I think the whole thing is like, an hour or two hours? An hour. It's less than that. It's, it's only like, like 55 like minutes. minutes. Yeah, uh, b- both episodes are like a total of an hour. It's like half the runtime of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the movie really spent time developing Alita's character and just like her growth, where the, the OVA just felt really, really rushed. Like they were just trying to focus on you know, copying these scenes from the manga, making it kind of animated. And, you know, it, it again still has that classic like 90s style. Uh, yeah. that, that OVA hyper-violent style, but I really appreciate the movie for really trying to develop these characters a little more. I do, mm-hmm. I do though have to say, I did like um, Yugo's character more in the OVA because in the movie, um, he did, there's a great video on it and I'm not gonna like tangent into it right now, but maybe we can link the video somewhere else. But um, sure. he kind of like, ended up being that, wow, you're this naive girl who's lost her memory. Let me be the man to show you everything in the world. But like in the OVA, it was kind of like, let's just sit on the rooftop and chill and talk. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I, I yeah. And um, I feel like that's a trope we just see so much in like sci-fi that it gets kind of like 
annoying almost where it's like i need to be the most important man because i've shown you everything and i've shown you how the world works and blah 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 and like not it's not egregiously bad in the film but um that video ruined me like (laughs) but um i can show you the world (laughs) aladdin totally guilty um but yeah i i felt like his character to me at least was a little bit better in the ova because he was just a kid having some fun and talking to a girl and then they liked each other all right folks are we moving into spoiler town now sure sure Sure. cool cool so if you have not seen alita battle angel go see it right now please and turn off this podcast go see it and come back you can finish the episode we'll talk we'll talk to you soon we'll we'll hear from you shortly all right go run run all right so um I guess first things first, whenever it comes to spoilers, um, so I'm really glad that the dog death was off screen. Same. (laughs) God, Uh, I watched that in the OVA, like I watched the OVA today before we recorded instead of doing my homework like a responsible human, but like, (laughs) I was just like, no, no, that poor dog. (laughs) Yeah. But they probably did that to maintain the PG-13 rating. Right, but yeah. in in the movie, it made more sense because we we bonded with the dog in earlier scenes. That way, we cared about yes. it more when it happened. Like, yes. not to say that I that I that I didn't care like about it in the OVA because like I don't like to see animals be harmed in any capacity, and um, it just was like, oh, that happened, didn't it, in the OVA, and it was like one and done. <laughs> yeah, it, it felt like again it was just sort of like a quick visual gag, like look at us, we can be really violent. Mm-hmm. Let's just mm-hmm. disembowel a dog because. You f- you find the romance annoying in the movie. I found the dog annoying in the movie. I'm glad he wasn't shown. That's glad because he... you own two Shih Tzus. No, well here's the thing. Been I'm, I'm glad I'm glad they didn't show his death in the movie because I think that would be mean and cruel. But the thing I didn't like about it is he did, the dog just showed up when they wanted the dog to show up, and then he just runs away. Like it's for if if I was a dog owner, which I am. Uh, I would want the dog to be with Alita the whole time, so that way I feel like they actually have a connection and not just a prop that shows up every couple minutes. Yeah, but it wasn't her dog. It was that one Hunter Warrior's dog who had the other cyborg dogs. Which no, was, also that, quite no, cool. was that no, his dog, though? The, the Hunter Warrior dog was just sympathetic of, like, someone who doesn't love animals. I do not like them. That was his stance. He didn't own that dog. Yeah. Are you sure? Yes. He like jumped up in his lap and started like he was like petting because him. He, he, he exuded man. he exuded a powerful dog energy and the dog immediately Absolutely. trusted him. <laughs> big, okay, fair enough. B- BDE. <laughs> BDE, big dog <laughs> big energy. Dog. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I do I love that character. He was my favorite character he in the, the entire best. movie. So I was like, when I grow up, I want to be that man. <laughs> yep. I, I did think that that was one uh one really fun scene like that whole extended bar fight sequence which was not in the OVA at all um was uh was just a lot of fun like Alina just walks in there and like she she states her demands like immediately super naively and they laugh at her which is absolutely fantastic because that I mean wouldn't you (laughs) and then I mean yeah the, the best part is like when she says like I'm gonna fight them and then the boyfriend basically is like well I gotta go help her and he's like no you stay behind the bar I got this. I'm with her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean those hunter warriors are dangerous. I mean they're all like mostly cyborg and like that one dude what was his name? Uh, 
the really gnarly one. Was that um Zapan? Zapan, Zapan. Zapan yeah. I think so. He was like such a ruthless man. Just a face. <laughs> yeah. I um when they okay, so in the movie, you know how um Hugo's dying and then she has to like face off between um with with that guy. Um Garishka. No, not Garishka, the the hunter, the hunter warrior. Zapan. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um I got to that part in the OVA and I was like, okay, this isn't as good. And I was like immediately like taking back my words when she electrocuted that character into a skeleton. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know what? I'll take it. Too bad we didn't get to see that in the movie. Instead she just cut his face off yeah. a little. A little. But, <laughs> quite a lot, actually. But, a but little. The, <laughs> but no, the best the best fight is when she faces off um Garage in the sewer and he's like, Welcome to my world. And then when she's basically got all her limbs torn off and they get yeah. the one they get the one uh effort in there and it's just <laughs> so good yes that was a very very powerful scene and i was kind of bummed that we didn't get to see that in or that didn't come from the um the anime um so that was actually a cool addition um because as i was going through i was like you know they didn't really change too much except a few characters here and there and then they added some scenes and i thought that one was super awesome because like she you know, was in this really awful situation, but she just persevered and, like, took him down with one arm and a torso. <laughs> Breaks yeah. off her other arm in his eye socket. Exactly. incredible. So I know. That was, that was really awesome. That's when I was kind of just, like, in my seat going, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, like, the... That was the moment I was just like, man, this movie's cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um... Okay, so one thing about Zapan, I am a little bit disappointed that he was like this pretty boy cyborg and didn't look like that like weird, weird guy with snake the hat. man <laughs> from the OVA. Um, so he was like a completely different character, which I mean, it's not. It's just a difference of interpretation. It's not yeah. a not a not a mark against it or anything. I mean, he didn't but really I like do I like that big until hat. The end of the OVA, he just he was there in the background for a couple of scenes, but it wasn't. Oh, until you're right. There he just like kind of showed up. So I, I appreciate. Well, well, I agree that like his old design. I think I kind of preferred. I did like the fact that he was an actual character. Mm-hmm. I, I completely mm-hmm. agree. I'm just mainly whining that we didn't get a guy with a stupid hat. Yeah, he's the guy that you see when you have sleep paralysis. I I didn't like. I his... hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Tori, are you okay? No, why? Talk about your sleep paralysis as the anime oh, characters. Completely off topic joke, but um, there's this like general thing that when you have sleep paralysis, you uh, a lot of people see a man wearing a hat, like a tall man wearing a hat and a coat, like a long coat. And um, yeah, so it could be him or Ido, apparently. Yeah, it's Zapan. <laughs> it's Zapan, and then like Ido is creeping up behind him, also wearing a hat, but with a hammer. <laughs> Oh, can I share my fun fact really quick? Oh, go for it. Um, when I was doing research earlier, apparently the OVA was released in Japan literally a day after I was born. So you're all welcome. Thank you. This Wait, is a, a very kind. What? what? A day after what? A day after I was born. Literally oh. the day after I was born, Alita was oh, released. Man, so that's... you're all welcome. This OVA <laughs> is as old as I am. Battle Angel Tori. Yes. God, I, I wish enough. I had a cyborg body. 
You have to break your arm off in Edwin's eye socket. All right, let's go. <laughs> I don't need it anyway. Uh, I, speaking of that, um, I have to say that I liked her um, porcelain-looking body in the movie a lot more than just her regular, like, silver cyborg parts. Um, I thought that was, like, really aesthetically pretty, and yeah. I felt like that was a good... Um, Maybe and maybe I'm just reading into it too much because I do that a lot. But um, I felt like it was a good transition between like them treating her very like little girlish and very yeah. overtly femininely, and then she's like, "No, I can do this." And then she, you know, transitions into the other body and is like this tough, like mm-hmm. awesome. I mean, she was like tough and awesome all along, but like visually, that's kind of how my brain connected it. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, she's going I, from this." Yeah. I think that's exactly how you're supposed to read that. Okay, good. <laughs> like, that seemed very intentional to me because, like, originally, like, she was so babied, be- well, baby in one way because, like, um, Ito's character, like, that was his daughter's body. Like, mm-hmm. that was something that meant a lot to him. And he was just like, oh, I want to take care of this because he's sort of treating Alita as, like, his daughter's legacy in some way. It's just like, oh, here's my chance to, like, do this mistake I made over again or whatever. Right. So that's why he was so protective, but then, like, he learned that, you know, of course, Alita is not his daughter, and he has to sort of let her be who she is uh, and let go, and that's sort of done very, very literally uh, in the film, because, like, her old body, like, breaks, and then he has to, like, he has to be like, okay, yes, I will do the thing that I didn't want to do and give her her, like, super powerful, like, warrior armor. Yeah. Um, That's him sort of, like, letting go of that control that he was trying to you know, falsely, um, you know, uh, lord over Alita in some ways, even though mm-hmm. he was, generally speaking, I, I would say um, in in the grand scheme of uh, fictional father figures, Ito's not a bad one. He's pretty good. No, because, well, go ahead. You you do your thought and then I'll say my thought. Because I made notes. I, I made notes on this. <laughs> okay. One, I don't think he was that good of a dad because one, He's very absentee-minded of just like, you stay there while I go do this other thing, even though I know you want to learn more about the world and explore. Uh, but that's like all parents. Like, they, <laughs> they, to a degree, they, like, all want to, like, you know, yeah. want to make sure their kids are safe and make sure I, they don't go and yeah. do anything and bad of, or of course whatever. The, the, of course, the extra wrinkle here is that he's already had a kid that died, so he's yeah, going exactly. to be double protective of her. Yeah, and my, my notes were kind of like, I feel like his... His intentions and his personality were conveyed better in the film than in the OVA, right. um, mm-hmm. because in in the film, like he is just very, he's very gentle to her. He is legitimately trying to like educate her about things, and yes, he still is the overprotective father figure. But I feel like he comes to the realization like a little bit quicker that oh yeah, she can handle herself. She's like a battle cyborg, duh. But mm-hmm. like in the OVA, he's literally just like okay, I found you out of the trash, let's go, you gotta do everything I tell you to do, and I, I am your father, and she, uh, she's constantly just like, screw you, dad. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna be a hunter-warrior whether you like it or not. And um, I just feel like it takes him longer to kind of come around to that. If, if he did it all, like, I, I literally just watched this, like, two hours or three hours ago, and I'm just, like, have forgotten it already. Mm-hmm. But um, I yeah, feel... brushed. Uh-huh. I would but, say, um, like, in a, from a general f- movie perspective, it was very nice to see Christoph Waltz in, like, a sympathetic role. Yes. Uh, because I have only ever really seen him as, as villains. So yes. I think, I mean, 
he did a fantastic job. Like, as soon as he started acting, like, every preconceived character of his that's more, like, villainish was just, like, wiped away because he was playing that character so genuinely. Mm-hmm. He was a good guy in Django. That's true, but he was still, like, a like an anti-hero kind of character. Okay. But then again, you could argue that so is Ito because he's still a hunter warrior and he murders cyborg people. And, so. and yeah. the, the piece, my my favorite line of his is when after the bar fight, he's like, "Stop it! No repairs!" Oh, I loved that. That was so good. And everyone immediately oh. stops because it's like, "Oh yeah, he's the only one yeah, that can do this." He doesn't charge me. That's right. <laughs> I loved that. That yeah. was incredible. Such yeah, a good, think, such think, a good uh, moment. In- Intentions or not, I feel like, uh, you know, vaults as, as uh, Landa and, and the Glorious Bastards and uh, uh, what, was, what was the guy? Schultz. Schultz. Yeah, Schultz and uh, yes, Django. Schultz. Like, they're both really over-the-top, very German characters, mm-hmm. very, like, foreign, sort of goofy kind of characters. But here, he's a lot more, like, subtle. Oh, yeah. He's more sympathetic, yeah. like you mentioned, uh, acting. Mm-hmm. I'm just very, very, very glad to see him doing other roles. I really, really like his, uh, uh, his repertoire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alright folks, so we've said a lot already. We've sort of rambled because it is a little bit late, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but in the spirit of wrapping it up pretty quickly, um, so it seems like hopefully we'll get a sequel. They're uh, setting it up for a sequel. Uh, I'm going to be the bearer of bad news for you. Well, Bill, what? I, hold up, hold up. What I'm saying <laughs> is that they are setting it up for a sequel. That is what they have done. It is their intention to make a sequel. Now, whether or not that actually happens is a different question. Mm-hmm. But I think they're set, like they're very obviously setting it up. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, whether yeah, or not yeah. that happens totally depends on how much money this film makes. So, if you want to talk about that, you have yeah. the floor, sir. It's been estimated from costs that this movie cost over five hundred million dollars to make. Of course, and, it did. And that that does that's probably not including the hidden advertiser costs that they don't have to disclose. Um, so far, um, the, the worldwide gross for this movie is $286 million. Um, I'm rounding down a little bit, but Mm -hmm. that's about as much as it made, which is pretty good, but that is seen as a, that is seen as a failure because it's not (laughs) over $500 million or more to break even. Now, honestly, for a lot of that, we have to thank China for... Last weekend push as well. Yes. Oh, oh yeah, because only here in the United States it only made sixty four million dollars. So China really saved its bacon for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, c- com- yeah, that's a lot of money. But the th- the thing that's, that makes me sad is just movies have ballooned up to so much where if it doesn't make a billion dollars movie studios aren't happy like think of about batman versus superman dawn of justice that made over half a billion dollars and that was seen as a failure <laughs> same with solo same with so same with solo where that made 500 million dollars and that was seen as a failure and made them stop doing uh the yearly anthology star wars movies um so i think we're not going to get a sequel even with this um t- total that's pretty respectable it's just um budgets have just ballooned insanely unfortunately and i saw one tweet that said like why do fans care about box office and it's 
like why should we care and it's because we've become smart we've become more aware of it because of the internet and because we we've learned that box office determines whether we get more of the thing that we like and i think well it's a it's it's a shame that we can't just enjoy the movie to some degree it's just i want i would love a sequel because you're right they do set up a sequel at the end where after she kills um uh, what's his name the edward norton no, no, not, uh, no, no, no. This the, is spoiler territory. The people okay, have already seen it. Okay. okay. <laughs> You're right. Um, I was about to they, when they kill break Vector, my arm off in your eyes. When, when, when they kill Vector, who's running the rollerball yeah. uh, circuit, where he she basically goes, um, I'm coming after you. The, the mysterious voice that's uh, from the city on, city on high, um, mm-hmm. basically setting up for a sequel. But unfortunately unless china keeps going to go see this movie i don't think it's gonna happen yeah i mean i think that's again if, if you made this part in the podcast and you've seen it go see it again yeah <laughs> buy the like, blu-ray when it comes like out like my tool i've been seeing my tool on twitter saying i've seen i've got to go see this movie like four or five times yeah. That's that's how much he loves this movie and wants this movie to succeed. Yeah. I'm gonna go see it again this weekend. I'm gonna try the 3D version. Out. <laughs> I will uh, probably go see it whenever it hits the cheaper theater because uh, it, it probably by the time I'll get around to seeing it again, it just physically won't be in the normal theater. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna try and go see it again at least at the cheap theater. Um. And I will most certainly be buying a copy of this to own uh, as part of my physical collection. All right, so I guess in wrapping up, because we do have a couple Twitter questions and Facebook questions and whatnot, so to Tobias first, most iconic scene of the film. No, I'm going to ask. I've got, like, 20. <laughs> I wanted, right, pick, I, pick one. Pick, you have to pick one. No, because last time we did it for Beautiful Dreamer, I picked, like, half of yours. Mine's queued up and ready to go. Is it the dog? It's not the dog. It's the one where she go saves Tori. the dog. It is the moment in which she shouts... F your mercy and shoves her whole fist into Grishka's eye. <laughs> yes. That's a good one. Chills. That's such a good scene. <laughs> I think my favorite scene overall is just the whole rollerball sequence of just mm-hmm. how it's constantly just she, at first she doesn't know it's a trap and then they learn like oh no everyone that's Everyone else that's racing or hunter warriors have to go kill her, and she's like, eh, "Whatever, I can deal with this." And just how she's going at a super fast speed and going through it. And the I love the broadcast, uh, the broadcast announcer in the background where he's going like, "Ooh, that's gonna hurt in the morning." Just going on full <laughs> cheesy broadcaster mode. Yeah. Uh, and just he's going, "Look at Alita go." I was having a ball I, uh, with that whole sequence and just the elaborate like gymnastics with her moving her up and down across the rollerball court. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just it re- reiterated to me the, the great B-quality movie of, this, of, uh, of Alita Battle Angel. Mm-hmm. I think that I would have to go with like pretty much any time that... Christoph Waltz uses that rocket rocket hammer. Yeah. Like, that just brought me so much joy, because like Tobias talked about earlier, it's just like, a rocket hammer is such an anime thing. Like, I just loved it. And it, yeah. and it like, you could tell that like, in practicality, that thing would never work right, but just because <laughs> like, because this is 
such an anime film, it's like Christoph Waltz wields it like a champ, and he like hits it on the mark pretty much every time, and I love that. All right, so I w- I'm gonna go with a small one first. Uh, the part at the beginning where she's getting used to her body, and she smushes her cheeks up. Oh, I love that. Uh, it was yes. so great. I've seen that they used it used on a couple of memes, but uh, that, that's just it's it's fun. It's it's very human moment uh, to see her that. But I, I think my my the real standout scene for me was the one scene that uh, was spoiled for, uh, for me before after I'd seen a little bit of the OVA. Uh, the very end where they're climbing the uh, the sky bridge, the sky rope, and uh, mm. you know, she's begging him to come down, and the, the like the, the, the that, that whole blade, like that. Uh, uh, oh, the, the, like the wire this, cleaner, the, the cleaner? chainsaw blade that was basically yeah. just going like straight towards them. Yeah. yeah, and they just like cleaned the like the cords off. Like seeing that and seeing that done and you know in movie form. And seeing how well they emulated that from the OVA was like, I, I, something about that scene I really enjoy. Uh, I think that would probably be my, my one standout scene. All right. So moving on to questions we have. So the first one is from Sarah, another member of the podcast that we haven't seen in a while. We should have Sarah back on. Um, so she says, regardless of whether or not it's a good adaptation, could the average person go into this knowing nothing and still enjoy it? I would say we are all sort of, yes. you know, evident of that. So yes. absolutely. Um, as long as you go into it with a mindset of like, this is, you know, just a fun B movie that just exactly. like, turn, turn your brain off. Don't think of it like in high concept sci-fi form. Just go in thinking like, I'm going to see some fun. I'm going to, I'm going to go see some fun fight scenes and, uh, Alita go kick some ass. <laughs> I completely agree. I think Bill answered it for all of us. Yep. My friend Sky commented on our uh, Facebook group post about um, about doing this episode, and he uh, it wasn't in the form of a question, but he said something that I hadn't really thought about in the front of my mind, maybe in the back of my mind, but he said um, something along the lines of, like, uh, because Alita was so good, this is one of the reasons why I'm so worried about the Fox-Disney merger. And I'm like, well... From my perspective, and this is a whole conversation for another day, so I won't get too far into it, but I'm worried about the Fox-Disney merger for many reasons, Um, but I don't know because there's so much about that that we don't know yet, so I don't know, like, let's say they did want to greenlight an Alita sequel, I don't know that... Disney would necessarily stand in the way of that, or they would sort of let the Fox people who are still at the company sort of handle that i I really don't know but it does really put the future of potential battle angel alita Mm. properties into like films into the future up for some questions Um, i know alita wasn't rated r but they there was a statement issued that like even with that merger that they still would be making like pg-13 plus like r-rated movies so i don't know Mm -hmm. maybe if that's exactly it but i think the greater fear with the fox disney merger is disney as a company is very conservative with what movie it puts out it knows Mm -hmm. its audience and it knows what's going to sell for the most part they're very risk averse for the most Mm -hmm. part and fox is one of the big four and by buying fox they basically control a third or a third or about half of movies that are released in the United States and globally. 
And I think the other thing, too, is Disney has had this weird yo-yo of setting up different labels to do more adult, more less Disney fair, but then they've always quit it. Like they did that with Miramax. They did that with um, Touchstone. Touchstone. They, they've done that a million times and then left that by the wayside. So I think people are afraid of... Um, they might come back and do R-rated, more adult-rated movies that aren't the typical Disney fair, but then after maybe like five or ten years, they'll drop it and just say, we're going to go back to what we know. Touchstone Pictures presents Battle Angel Alita 2. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that is a different... Uh, a, um, definitely something to consider because that merger will affect so much. We just don't know exactly how yet. Yeah, like, I think that's the thing people are getting lost in. Like, yeah, you're getting the X-Men back, but there's greater um, effects of this merger than just the X-Men coming to the Marvel Universe. Exactly. Like, the mass media um, conglomeration is not worth having Wolverine in the Avengers, in my mind, at least. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's not worth it. Anyway, so Edwin asks, uh, Motorball was added to the movie earlier than it was in the manga. Do you guys feel it was a good change, or did it feel shoehorned? Um, Personally speaking, I thought it worked pretty well. Uh, It reminded me a lot of Tron, about how, like, they stopped the movie a couple times to just do, like, a light cycle race. And, like, I never really minded that, because it was cool. So, I guess if they're gonna stop a movie to do some sort of, like, sports ball or racing thing, at least make it cool. Yeah. Like, even pod, even pod racing was one of the best parts of uh, The Phantom Menace. So, it was cool. It, um, yep. it cut in and out enough, like, even though it there was a large chunk of it later on in the movie, but it cut in and out enough with other plots that, like, I wasn't bored by it. I thought it worked really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. They, they did mention it very early on with the, that mock race they were doing mm-hmm. and it, yeah. it seemed like a natural part of it i mean sure a lot of the movie felt episodic in places yeah and that was one episode of, of the movie so to speak but no like i felt like it really worked and it was a great visual set piece to like tie that all together i thought um, it also intricated with the plot of just like at first they thought to get to the mythical midgard city they have to get a bunch of money and to get a bunch of money you have to play rollerball and so it, it kind of it made sense in the plot thread of just they want to get to this. Uh, she wants to help her love interest get get to where he wants to go. And so she knows that she could be really good at the sport. And so mm-hmm. that's why she's entering it. So I, I, and it's it's a meta commentary on how we put so much stock in uh, entertainers and mm-hmm. uh, sports professionals. Sure. What is that? Is that too much? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think they just wanted to show a bunch of people beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> yeah, I th- I or think, that. I, yeah, I think we're both right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Edwin's other follow-up question was like, "What did we generally think about how the violence was toned down for the movie?" I mean, I don't really think that the well, first of all, like the violence in the original OVA is like, it's it's there and it's gory whenever it happens, but it's not like. It's not like a slaughter fest, like a ninja scroll or a sword for truth kind of movie. Um, It's, I mean, it's got some gory scenes, but it's really not that bad. And like having that stuff not appear in the live action film, I don't think it takes anything away from it at all. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, it mm-hmm. seemed like they were cutting it down, like you said, to get a PG-13 rating yes. rather than an R. And we still get the same feeling. They get that OVA yes. feeling between you know, the, the off-screen uh, dog dismemberment, uh, disembowelment, yes. rather. And like the, the like the one the first fight scene against Grishka and the other assassins where she just like cuts not like cuts she like kicks his arm off mm-hmm. and it's a bunch of yes. goopy campy uh, maybe not gory so much but just weird hyper violent stuff all throughout. Yeah. I yeah I don't think this movie could have benefited at all for having more like edgy content or adult content or anything. And I think that that only helps it because then, you know, more people can see it. It'll be, it's more accessible. And I, I think just the key thing is like, it doesn't matter what the rating is. As long as you, you understand the source material and you're faithful to it, I, you can succeed. And I, I think they pulled that off miraculously with the source material and made it a fun movie. And there's some pretty violent parts, like, especially with the Garishka fight. Like, I I don't think they pulled any punches. Nope. It was a very visceral fight. It really felt real. Quite real. Well, they felt very anime, but... <laughs> I mean... Anime is real, okay? She she just kicked his arm off. I, I mean... <laughs> yeah, man. He, he, he What's is... What's the never been in a fight? <laughs> One guy's using a rocket hammer. She just kicks his arm off. Yeah. I mean, her, again, he, again he, for he, like the fifth time in this podcast... Breaks her arm off in his eye socket. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he is the juggernaut. He can take the pain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of our episode talking about Alita Battle Angel. It has been a wonderful time. Thank you all for joining me so much. Uh, please, if you're listening to this episode, go see this movie. Or if you're listening to it way after. It's been uh, out of theaters. Please go pick it up and buy it on Blu-ray. Give this movie your money. It is uh, very good. It's totally worth it. And I think that it has... It will probably have a lot of rewatchability. I can see myself, you know, popping this movie on whenever I just want to have something to, like, you know, watch in the background just to have on and just uh, just chill out and have a good time. And while you're watching good anime adaptations, go watch Speed Racer 2008, too. That's true, man. The, the only other good anime adaptation... Maybe we should do an episode on that someday. We should. Yeah. I need an excuse right. to rewatch it. All right, guys. You want to do Twitter roundup? Tori, you start. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at WorstWaifu, where I'm usually screaming about something. Tobias. You can follow me on Twitter at BebopShock. That is Bebop <laughs> as in Cow Bebop and Shock as in Ua Shock. Yep. And you can follow me at Reverend underscore Toe Beans McNabb. That's me. <laughs> uh, and you can follow me at WB Foreman 999, where I will probably be ranting about the new Hearthstone news that just came out. It's so good. Oh, yeah. And with that, we are, and with that, we are cutting Bill's mic <laughs> indefinitely. No. <laughs> Goodbye, Bill. Alright, folks. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us and we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.